0: we'll talk about during this whole year. So the name of this two-week mini-series is uh, Evangelical Citizens. All right? Nothing controversial there at all. All right? Evangelical Citizens. Um, Before we dive in here, I want to do a little, like, definition, because words mean um, certain things to one group that they may mean something different to another group. So when I use the phrase evangelical, here's what I mean. That's actually a word that has been used for quite some time, and uh, historically, it, is meant, it has been a theological definition. Now, if you were to go on the street today and, and ask somebody what they thought evangelical meant, I'm guessing they wouldn't reference this definition. Okay? So here are the four things that typically evangelical meant. First of all, to be an evangelical, meant that you believed in the authority of the scriptures, meaning you didn't think the Bible was simply a, an inspiring book, you thought it was actually words from God instructing us about what is true and how we are to live. So an evangelical historically believed in the authority of the scriptures. Uh, secondly, an evangelical believed in the centrality of the cross. Um, they believed that core to the message of Jesus was the message that he had to come and die for us, and on the cross he paid for the sin of the world. So the cross is central to the message of Jesus. And then third, uh, an evangelical recognizes a personal need for conversion. Um, that you couldn't just be born into the Christian faith, that you had to come to a place of putting your own faith in Jesus Christ, and in that, um, in that trans- spiritual transaction, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell a person. There's personal conversion. And then, and then lastly, um, evangelicals are activists in word and deed. They're actively sharing the gospel, actively demonstrating the realities of the gospel, word and deed, those four things have always been uh, what is defined, what it means to be an evangelical. And the great irony of our day is many people who are uh, self-professed evangelicals don't actually believe those four things. And so when I use the word evangelical citizen, this is what I'm talking about, all right? So it's very clear. This is our definition of an evangelical citizen. So with that disclaimer, let's ask the question, why? Why are we doing this series? you probably know full well this, uh, there's a lot of controversy when we begin to talk about politics talk about uh, the word evangelical why bother dipping our toe in these waters if it's difficult well during an election season and if you haven't noticed already we're in one uh, but during an election season a lot of messages come our way i mean we can't watch tv without getting a political ad, you can't look at your social media feed, without having some kind of a message. Messages come our way during an election cycle. Uh, Maybe you're going to hear a message, something like this, uh, where it says, we have had many important elections, but never one so important as that now approaching. The Republic is approaching what is to be one of the most important elections in its history. Uh, Any idea where that quote came from? Who said that? It was Abraham, it it wasn't Abraham Lincoln, but it was during the election of Abraham Lincoln. Back in 1864, it was a quote in the New York Times. And I simply show that to say, you know what? Every age really looks at the election cycle as the most important election that we are facing. So it's not new for us to come into an election year and sense that the stakes are high, and to feel the tensions, that's not new. We've long lived in a, a culture that can be pretty polarized when it comes to political leanings. But there is something different in our day. Our day, it's not the intensity of the political bait that's different. The difference is the role that politics plays in our identity. And that's what I wanna talk here at the beginning about. What is the role that politics kinda of plays in our, uh, in our identity as American citizens? Um, Trevin Wax, he's a, uh, an author, uh, often uh, blogs on uh, the Gospel Coalition, and uh, he wrote a uh, article called Dethrone Politics. Not a very subtle title, all right? Uh, Dethrone Politics. And he said this uh, in his article. He said, Americans are more likely to be unhappy if their kids marry someone from a different political party than if they marry someone outside their religion. Take a moment to let that survey result from the Public Religion Research Institute sink in. Mom and dad are less concerned about their son or daughter marrying outside of the faith than they are marrying outside of the party. And He goes on later in the article to say, When a sizable segment of the population says that a political affiliation matters more than a religious identity, we're witnessing something greater than mere polarization. We're watching the transmutation of politics into religion. He's saying that the role that that politics plays in our country is the role that religion used to play in our country. We're looking to politics to answer large questions. Uh, He's not the only one saying this, a lot of people are, uh, but there's another journalist, uh, Shadi Hamid, uh, who wrote an an article titled, America Without God. And uh, here's what Shadi said. He said, as Christianity's hold in particular has weakened, ideological intensity and fragmentation have risen. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputation. And then he goes on and he quotes a a Dutch philosopher and politician, Abraham Kuyper. He He was a theologian who served as the prime minister of the Netherlands at the dawn of the 20th century when the nation was in the early throes of secularization. And he argued that all strongly held ideologies, were effectively faith-based and that no human being could survive long without some ultimate loyalty. That's a great phrase there, without some ultimate loyalty. And if that loyalty didn't derive from traditional religion, it would find expression through secular commitments such as nationalism, socialism, or liberalism. This is a significant observation, that to be human we must have an identity. You can't be human without having an identity. And we all derive our identity from something. And he's saying that traditionally, human beings have derived an identity, in large part, from traditional religion. But in a secular society, we are looking for other places from which to grasp an ultimate loyalty. And in our culture today, Politics has become the go-to place. More and more people in our country are trying to answer significant questions in life, primarily by looking at politics. And what I want to talk about today is I do not believe earthly politics can offer us the identity we are all searching for. And until we ground our identity in something larger, something ultimate, we will inevitably find ourselves divided, Uh, and not at peace in this world. So like generations of people before us, we come to the scriptures to gain another bigger, truer, greater identity. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me now as I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It's a short passage. I'll read this out loud, and then I will say the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. After that, I'll pray, and then you can sit down. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, who I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us your word to lead us into all truth. Now, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that your word would guide us this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for where we live. We thank you for our country and uh, the, all of the, the privileges we have here. We are grateful for this. But God, I pray that you'd help us have an ultimate loyalty that is greater. Uh, Lord, and a loyalty to you, to your kingdom. So God, I pray you would teach us this morning. Guide us by your word and by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Well, back in uh, 2006, uh, my wife and I, uh, we spent about a month uh, living in Ukraine. Uh, we were adopting our, uh, our now, our oldest child, Nadia, and uh, I had never thought much about my American citizenship until that month abroad. I spent a month there living in a different country with a different culture, different foods, different language. I was very aware um, that I was different than those around me, and uh, they observed that regularly too. Uh, We'd walk on the street, and we actually often got stared at and pointed at because it was obvious we were different, uh, which was interesting, merely from our dress, from our language. Um, but our American citizenship became incredibly important to us at the end of our time in Ukraine. Uh, we had been able to adopt Nadia about two weeks into our stay there, um, and so she came to live with us, but we weren't able yet to get her visa so we could travel back home. Now, we had anticipated that being a couple-day, maybe a week process, but something had changed in the government, and the process all of a sudden bogged way down, and people were starting to hear things like, waiting a couple months, and how long are we going to be here in this country? And uh, around that time, my wife began experiencing some pretty major um, health complications, and she had to get back to her doctor, and so we were forced... With a decision, do we send her back alone, and then I would remain in Ukraine with Nadia, just waiting for the visa to come, um, or or could something else happen? So I called up the American Embassy uh, in Kyiv, and I spoke to them. And after speaking to them, what had been a months-long wait became, uh, show up tomorrow at this office, you'll receive your visa. And I realized at that point, there was power in citizenship. Uh, Because I was able to talk to people who were influential, and because of our citizenship as Americans, uh, we were able to get a visa far, far earlier than we expected. I want us to hold that idea of citizenship in our head today, of living in a foreign country, but being citizen of another country. And, And here's the main points I want to talk about today. I'm going to give them to you right up front, all right? Few things, first, I want us to, un- to understand the idea that Christians live, or followers of Jesus, live in two countries. Um, we all are born in a country of this earth. We all are citizens of some earthly nation. But according to the scriptures, what we read today, we are citizens of God's kingdom, citizens of heaven. Christians live in two countries. Secondly, our citizenship is God in God's heavenly kingdom is primary. One of our locations has to determine our identity. And the scriptures tell us that our identity is determined by our heavenly citizenship. Therefore, our heavenly citizenship must shape our identity. How we live, how we think, how we relate is shaped by our heavenly identity. All right, now we all can go home, right? Sounds good? Well, buckle up. We have a little more to do here. All right. I want to, un- I want to unpack and understand uh, the two countries that we find ourselves living in. When you come to the scriptures, um, what you see is that we, we live in a world that is made by God, but this world is part of God's larger kingdom. So when we look at uh, the scriptures, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 tells us about how God made everything. It says, for by him, that's being Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, see, God is the source of all life, all being, all existence comes from God. And we can look around this world and see a lot of visible things. We see nature visibly. We see governments visibly. We can go to the State House in Concord. We can go to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. We see the visible governments that ultimately, scriptures tell us, derive their authority from God. God is behind, made all these things. But that's not all that God has made. He said that all things visible and invisible our earth is part of something much larger. God's creation is massive. What we can see and what we cannot see. Now I wanna have a, a series of graphics here that hopefully get our, help us get our mind behind this. That in creation, we see that God created the kingdoms of this earth. But the kingdoms of this earth are set within the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So whenever you hear the phrase heaven, don't just think later on, Um, That really is the realm over which God rules. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, synonymous in scripture. And when God first made this world, um, he made human beings to govern what he had made here under his rulership. So God made Adam and Eve. He said, you're to have dominion. You're to have rulership, governance over what I have made. So right at the very beginning, we see God institute human governance over creation. But human governance was to be worked out under God's rulership. That God is the one who determines how life is to work and human beings now work according to His instructions. So God has made everything. He has created how things should be. That's His kingdom. We see at the very beginning of the scriptures, life was working very well when human governance worked under God's kingdom. That's the way life is meant to work. Human beings operating under the rulership of God. But the the story of the Scripture tells us things did not stay that way. Uh, Next slide here. We see what's happened in the fall. That when Adam and Eve determined to decide for themselves what was right and good, human governance uh, attempted to rule things itself. So you see lots of phrases in Scripture about humanity did what was right in its own eyes and then the earth became full of violence. Like things begin to fall apart as human beings try to govern themselves. So God's kingdom still exists, God still rules over all, but he has allowed the kingdoms of earth to essentially be self-governing to our own demise. But God has always, always, always been committed to human beings. So even in its fallen state, God put within the kingdoms of the earth representation of his kingdom, because he wanted, he wanted people to turn to him. So as you go through the Old Testament scriptures, you see God working with a particular people, a particular human nation. It begins with Abraham, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and through you and your family, all of the earth will be blessed. And so when you read through the Old Testament, have you ever noticed that there's a lot of genealogies, like a lot of genealogies? If you're trying to read the Bible in a year, often you kind of get to that section, maybe skip over the names. Uh, It's a lot to read through. You think, why all the genealogies? Why are they so concerned about this? Well, the reason they're so concerned about this is it's people in this family, people in this nation that God has said, are the people I'm going to work through in this fallen world. So the Old Testament is this line of God's people, Israel, that God is intending to bless the earth through. And we see they fail miserably at this. They do not live out God's instructions as God desired them to. And so then we come to what we call redemption. God did not give up on this plan. He says, I will come myself in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God invades the kingdoms of earth in the person of Jesus. And so you see heaven and earth begin to overlap in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He is perfectly God, perfectly human together. And when Jesus came, we actually talked through the Gospel of Mark last fall. Do you remember Jesus' primary message? He would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying uh, God's governance, God's kingdom, the country we all long to be in has invaded. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what's really intriguing is that once Jesus comes, if you're reading through the scriptures, the stories, what you see is all the genealogies stop with Jesus. After Jesus, there's no more genealogies in the scripture because all of the genealogies were pointing to Jesus. So all the, the uh, it's uh, in Luke and in Matthew, they both begin with the genealogy saying, here's how Abraham um, and here's how Adam and their line all got to Jesus. Now, no longer are we concerned with what nation are you part of, if you're gonna be God's people. We're concerned with, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? See, No longer is God's kingdom on earth in a particular nation, a particular family. It's God's people in the church. So no longer do we put uh, God's name on an ethnic uh, grouping. We look to God's church as the place where Heaven and earth are intersecting. This is the overlap. But this is not the end of the story, thank God. There's one more stage yet to come in, in God's story. We call that glorification. In Revelation 11:5, we get a picture of what will happen. Uh, Revelation tells us that the, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. See that that's yet to happen, and this is what it will look like. Kind of the last uh, picture with the circles overlapping. That when Christ returns, when he removes all uh, enemies to his reign, when all sin is done away with, all sickness, all death, then God's kingdom will be. Overall, all kingdoms finding uh, their place in God's perfect kingdom. This is ultimately what we long for. Every election cycle, when we are saying we want a just government, a righteous government, no corruption in our government, we want there to be financial success, we want there to be health flourishing, this is what we are longing for right here. And it's a good thing that we long for it. Um, It it, is a good thing we can't just make peace with the way things are right now because the Bible says this is coming Christ will return and this is what will happen The question though is how do we live now in the overlap and that's where we are now We're living in the overlap of the ages We are still part of kingdoms of this earth that are opposed to God If you read Psalm 2, Psalm 2 says why do the nations rage? All nations, all human nations are raging, resisting God and His purposes. All nations. Our nation is one of those Psalm 2 nations. Now to varying degrees, nations rage against God, but all human nations are opposed to Christ's kingdom. So we're part of human nations, but if you're in Christ, you're part of the kingdom of God. We are living in that overlap. Now. In the overlap, we are tempted to misunderstand our citizenship status. All of that, I'm driving to this point, we're tempted to think of our heavenly citizenship as simply a later reality, kind of like our, our eternal Del Boca Vista. We'll eventually get to this retirement spot, and so it's comforting to have that thought, someday I'll be there, but right now, we usually think about our citizenship in terms of our earthly kingdom. And if you notice in those overlap, it was not the green circle cutting into the blue, it's the blue circle overlapping the green. If you're a follower of Jesus, you live there in the overlap of the circles. And your citizenship, your identity, is not someday I'll be in God's kingdom, someday I'll be in heaven, it's now. Paul didn't say, but our citizenship will be in heaven. He said our citizenship is in heaven. Right here, right now, we may live in America, but we are heavenly citizens. So let's kind of dig in a little bit deeper, understanding why this citizenship is primary. Why is this our primary identity, or why should it be our primary identity right now? I'm gonna read again Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Oh, man, this is such good news. Three things here. Three reasons that our heavenly citizenship has uh, priority over our earthly citizenship. First, only Jesus is Savior. Only Jesus is Savior. Uh, Paul said, We eagerly await a Savior and he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, every election cycle reveals that humans are waiting for a Savior. I mean, even in a democracy like ours, look at the, um, the level of, of respect um, that we give to political candidates. I mean, if you listen to the ads, I mean, what is being proposed, um, it, it, it almost takes on this larger-than-life promise. And we're used to, politicians over-promising, right? But the reason why it works is because there's a longing within the human heart to be rescued. We, don't, we know things are not as they should be. And so when candidates are promising to end corruption, when can- candidates are promising to bring about financial success or human flourishing, we're, we're prone to give it, let them give it a try because <laughs> we want a savior and I'm glad we do. God put that longing there. But what we know from scripture is there's only one Savior. There's only one Savior. There's only one Jesus. I mean, only he came and died for our sin. No other human being has done that, has gone to a cross to take on the root of all the problems in this world. And the root of problems in this world is the corruption of the human heart. Jesus has taken that on himself in his death on the cross. And then he's risen. Uh, we've been, we read from uh, Psalm 146 earlier in the service, and there was a great verse in there uh, giving us counsel. Psalm 146, three through four. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. You know, if you go to DC, you can visit all the monuments there. You can go see the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, all reminding us of great human leaders who died and stayed dead. You can't go visit Jesus' memorial because he's no longer dead. You see, only Jesus conquered the grave. So this is why we look to him as Savior because he has done what no other human being can do. He's paid for sin, he's defeated death, he can save. No other human running for election right now can claim that. Or if they do, they should not get your vote. Only Jesus is savior. Uh, Second reason our heavenly citizenship is primary is that only Jesus' kingdom transforms. Only Jesus' kingdom transforms. Uh, Paul went on to say about Jesus, the savior, that who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Uh, That phrase there, Jesus in his kingdom has the power to transform. You see, the best that human nations can do is restrain evil and protect life. Restrain evil and protect life. And we should vote for people and policies that we think will do the best job restraining evil, and protecting life. But make no mistake, we need far more than that. Uh, What we need is transformation. We need transformed bodies. We need bodies that no longer are sinful. Bodies that no longer fall prey to sickness. Bodies that no longer die. Just think of how much of government's focus is spent because of those three things. If there was no sin in this world, if there was no sickness, if there was no death, um, the role of government becomes very different. We need transformation. And because Jesus died and rose, we're told that our bodies will become like his. That's the hope we have. We will not remain in the grave. Our sinful bodies, the sin will be removed. We will be like Christ when we see him. This is the hope of the scriptures, that Jesus and Jesus alone can transform in that way. But he didn't say he would just transform individuals. He says by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. That when Jesus returns, everything will be brought under his perfect rule, the kingdom of God ruling over all. That means even things within nature itself will be brought under Christ's perfect rule. He will transform everything. If we really believed this truth, how do you think it would affect an election cycle and our attitudes in the midst of an election cycle? I think we would really care about what happens, but we also would have a a level of reality that problems will not all be solved until Christ returns, but they will all be solved. And so we look to Jesus and his kingdom. Only Jesus' kingdom transforms. And then thirdly, why we should prioritize our heavenly citizenship. Only Jesus' kingdom is eternal. Only his kingdom is eternal. I mean, just think about all of the, the nations of the world that ha- have existed. Think back to some of your, your history classes. Um, you know, what have been some of the, the most powerful nations that come to mind? British Empire, British Empire here's one of them. Roman Empire, Roman Empire. Roman Empire yes. I go... The Minas, yes. I mean, you think historically, there have been some major, powerful nations that have existed in human history. And they all rise and fall. All human kingdoms rise and fall. No earthly kingdom is eternal, our country included. All earthly kingdoms are not God's kingdom. When we think about the eternality of God's kingdom, it gives us a right perspective with which to engage earthly politics. Uh, Author uh, Russell Moore uh, talks well about this. Uh, He says this, that election years tend to incite fevered reactions because it seems as though everything is at stake. There's much at stake to be sure, but we should put it in a trillion year perspective that can allow us not to panic. No one and nothing will take our country away from us if we define correctly what we mean ultimately when we say country and what we mean when we say us. Such good words. The trillion year perspective. God's kingdom existed before this earth existed. God's kingdom existed before the United States existed. And God's kingdom will exist for eternity. If this is our country, and if we are citizens of that kingdom, we we will not be shaken. We are secure in that identity. If that's our secure citizenship, our secure identity, then we can really heed Paul's instructions in Philippians 4.1, where he said, therefore, and the reason he says therefore is because he's connecting this instruction with what preceded it. He talked about our citizenship in heaven, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm. He has to tell them to stand firm because there's a temptation not to. He's speaking to a church in the region of Philippi. That's why we call it the letter to the Philippians. Now, Philippi was a really interesting community. Um, When you look back at history, you realize that it was largely populated by retired Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers have been granted for free um, homes in this town. So you think of anybody that's going to really value their earthly citizenship. Maybe it's somebody that served in the military for that nation. Someone that was given uh, a tax-free home from that nation. And they were. And Paul says to them, but that's not your citizenship. Your citizenship isn't tied in with the Roman Empire. You are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Stand firm in this citizenship. Stand firm. So, how can we stand firm in our heavenly citizenship? I'll add in, especially during an election year. And I will give a big disclaimer, kind of qualifier right now. Um, Everything I have said up to this point has been so clearly right out of the scriptures. I'm now going to give a few applications that are Sam's thoughts on how to live the scriptures. All right, so my, my, my applications of these principles, big disqualification, or disqualification, big qualification, whoa. <laughs> Hopefully not a disqualification. All right, uh, firstly, I want to encourage you to consider practicing healthy disengagement with earthly politics in this election cycle. Healthy disengagement with earthly politics. Now, I am not advocating for no involvement. I'm not saying that you know, politics is dirty business, we shouldn't be there. We should have Christians involved in earthly politics. All of us as representatives of Christ's kingdom should be engaged for, out of love for neighbor within the political systems of this world. We should be engaged. I said healthy disengagement. And here's what I mean. I think we don't need to spend the amount of time we typically do Considering earthly politics in order to engage well. I think we can do some good research, understand the dynamics, and then go vote and be done with it. Right now, um, politics has become entertainment. Where think about how many shows are on TV, how often things show up in your social media news feed. We are constantly inundated with the political news cycle. It's become entertainment and it's forming us. It shapes our affections, it shapes our attitudes, it shapes our emotions and we do not need that level of time considering politics to be able to vote in an informed manner. So I'd encourage you to think through how will you engage in a healthy way in this coming news cycle? Maybe one practice you could do is if you have notifications turned on for any kind of news source, turn off the notification. Don't give uh, the news cycle the reins to your emotions. Because that's what happens. Uh, Something comes in, you pick up your phone and you see a story, and (coughs) it drives your emotional well-being. Choose instead to decide when you will go and research and learn, and then vote and entrust it to God. Uh, Don't let the news cycle drive you. Choose when you will engage the news cycle. Second uh, application. Regularly reaffirm your true allegiance. Regularly reaffirm your true allegiance. Um, I would encourage you in this coming year to memorize Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Short passage that we were looking at this morning. That comes out of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And then anytime you see a political ad, just make this a spiritual practice. Say Instead of saying something mocking about the candidate or cheering the candidate, just say, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior. Uh, So every time you see a political ad for an earthly candidate, you are reminding yourself of where your true allegiance lies. Scripture is powerful to form our thinking and to form our hearts. Regularly reaffirm your true allegiance. And then lastly, choose unity based on your heavenly citizenship. Choose unity based on your heavenly citizenship. You know, for many people, Um, we find it far easier to hang out with somebody who may not be a follower of Christ, may not be a citizen of heaven, but may be a member of the political party that we like versus being able to hang out and enjoy being with somebody who has a different political lean but is also a member of the kingdom of heaven. It should not be that way. Our greater unity should come around our citizenship in heaven. And when we look through the scriptures and see the end in Revelation, we have this beautiful picture in Revelation 5. It says people from every tribe, language, uh, tongue, and nation will be around the throne of God. And and they're all singing a song in that scene. And what's being sung is, is not anybody's national anthem. And just think about all of the different political ideologies from the different nations of the world, all around the throne, and what's being sung is worthy as the lamb, worthy is the lamb. When the focus is on Christ and what he has done, it it enables us then to be with others who we may have some differences. We we think differently about how these earthly kingdoms should be run, but we're not going to divide over it because we have a far greater citizenship. We are are part of God's kingdom. Uh, We have been brought into this kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if God has loved us that much, forgiven us that much, had mercy upon us to that degree, how can we not then extend that kind of charity to those with whom we have minor differences about earthly kingdoms? We have an opportunity to begin practicing that kind of unity right now. When we gather here on a Sunday morning, we sing songs uh, to Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. We're, We're beginning to sing that eternal song together. And I guarantee, if you look around this room, I bet we don't all vote the same, so we're practicing this on a Sunday morning. When you go to a community group, and we're going to be looking at this in community groups, we have an opportunity to practice this. As we consider the Bible and earthly politics, we can choose whether we are going to base our relationships around our heavenly citizenship or our earthly citizenship. And I encourage you to to practice working this out, to prioritize your heavenly citizenship in community groups uh, this coming season. In in closing here, uh, we are right now citizens of heaven, living in the United States of America. Our true citizenship is heaven, and we are ambassadors, representing that kingdom, that country, here and now. Uh, Jesus alone is savior, Jesus alone will transform all things, and Jesus' kingdom alone is eternal. Stand firm in your true citizenship this year. We'll stand and we'll uh, pray together and then have a song. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you have drawn us into your kingdom. Uh, your word tells us uh, that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. And you've done this, Lord, by forgiving our sins uh, through Christ's sacrifice. Thank you for this. God, I pray that this year you would help us uh, to to see what is invisible. Your kingdom is not visible. And yet, Lord, it is primary. Uh, Help us to truly value uh, this citizenship that is ours. God, I pray that uh, the the values of your kingdom um, would become our personal values. And that we would be able to engage, Lord, Uh, in our earthly kingdoms, not based on the values we see around us, but, Lord, on the values that we see in you. And so, Lord, I pray you be shaping our thinking, uh, you be shaping our hearts, and how we react uh, to people around us into the news cycle. Uh, Lord, we pray that you and you alone uh, would hold sway over our minds and hearts. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your goodness to us. Please lead us in the season to come. In Jesus' name, amen.